This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It is so great to have you here today for a chatty episode with a great friend of the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Megan McSherry. Megan is a sustainable fashion creator. She's a sustainable supply chain advocate. She is a very proud and perfect environmentalist. She's one of the very first people that I followed in the sustainable fashion space to learn more about the movement, more about how I can improve on my own imperfect environmentalism. And she's since become a great, great friend. Megan earned a bachelor's degree in business administration at the University of Southern California and then went on at the USC Marshall School of Business to earn her master's degree in global supply chain management. Her platform is called Activism. Her blog and her social media presence is really aimed at being a space for sustainable fashion expertise. She has some great ebooks and resources that we're talking about today, and it is a really interesting data-driven approach to sustainable fashion, to slow fashion, to, again, imperfect environmentalism, which is one of the major themes in our conversation today. So I hope you love this conversation with Megan. I really enjoy these friendly styles of conversation, and I hope you do too. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the episode. If you enjoy this show, you can make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you're listening today. And if you're interested in seeing visuals from these episodes, go ahead and check out the social media pages linked in the show notes as well at Eco Chic Podcast on Instagram. And then you can also find me on TikTok. I'm sharing video clips from all of these in-person episodes. I feel like they're so good. I'm really, really proud of them. So I encourage you to check them out if you haven't so far. With that, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Megan. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. Good. Good to be here. I'm so glad that you're here. I think that perhaps one of my favorite things about speaking to you as an educator in the environmental space is your background in supply chains. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is so unique. It's so cool. And you do such a good job of really having this data-driven component to a lot of the work that you do and a lot of the stuff that you put out. So I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about, about data today, yeah. first of all. I mean, the For question geez. on everyone's <laughs> mind, everyone is asking, why are you tracking your outfits all year? Good question. <laughs> um, I think I saw some people on TikTok doing it or like had had a spreadsheet so they could calculate the cost per wear of the items that they were wearing. I was like, that's really interesting. I don't know if I want to do that, but. I do feel like I buy a lot of clothes and I've gone through phases in my sustainable fashion journey or slow fashion journey since I started in like 2015 where I've had a lot of clothes coming in. So at the beginning I was like, can't buy fast fashion anymore. 
So I go to the thrift store and I would just buy a ton of clothes. Um, and then once I stopped that, I like my influencer journey was really progressing and I was getting a ton of free stuff from brands. It's like, I'm not buying clothes, but I was adding a ton of clothes to my closet and I've stopped doing that. And now I'm still like buying a lot of clothes. So I wanted just to track like how much of the clothes I actually wear in my closet and see how often I was wearing them. I'd done a closet audit before, I think in like 2018, just because I was curious about actually how many items I had in my teeny little like college closet. And it was shocking. I was like, maybe a hundred. And it was like 250 or something, maybe even higher. And so I just kind of continued off of that. I was like, I might as well just like take a quick outfit picture, record it and see what I can do with that data. And because I'm a data person, like I just, everything goes to the extreme. So now I have a spreadsheet that's like my life. I love <laughs> it. I lo it's like a social experiment gone rogue. Oh, totally. Totally. Tracking my outfits started accidentally when I was working at Vans in the supply chain department. On my first day of work, I took a little like outfit selfie in the mirror in the bathroom with like my foot all the way up in the air so you could see I was wearing Vans. And I was like, that's kind of fun. And so I just did it every day for the first week. And then I was like, oh, I'm like tracking all my outfits. Like how cool. And I'd share it on my Instagram stories. And then I ended up working there for like nine months. So I had all these photos and my work outfits. And I was like, oh, like I wear pants all the time. I wear a jacket almost every day. I have three jackets in my closet. That would be a smart investment, right? That would be something smart to spend a lot of money on a really sustainably ethically made quality jacket that's going to last me a long time. But I've never thought of myself as jacket person. Oh, interesting. I always was like, oh, I wear skirts. I wear dresses. Like I went to Catholic school. I had a uniform. Like I'm just way more comfortable in a skirt. No, I, <laughs> I wore pants all the time with a jacket. So that was an interesting kind of experiment. And that stopped when COVID happened. So when I got back into the idea of like, I should look at what's in my closet, I was like, I might as well just like get all the data that I can out of this. I love that. Now I have to ask the obvious question here. Do you get dressed every single day? Because what about the days that you stay in your pajamas all day? Do you track the yes. pajamas? So there are very few days where I like stay in my literal pajamas every day, but I do wear sweatshorts and a sweatshirt like very often. So I just track that. Love it. Might as well. I like that. So you force yourself to get dressed almost, dare I say, for the sake of the audit. You're like, well, I know that I'm going to be. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. I normally get dressed every day. I feel um, like this is a very invasive question that I'm asking. Oh, yeah. Like, do you stay in pajamas or not? I've never really been a pajama person. <laughs> okay. I just, like, I have a, my little nightgown. Mm -hmm. from Meet the Label or like my matching pajamas. But like when I wake up, I need to like get out of my pajamas. Even if it's putting on like sweatpants and a sweatshirt, I just need something else. So I get a lot of questions from people like, what if I don't put clothes on? Like you don't have to track it. You know, it's a super individualized process. You can do whatever you want. But it, yeah, I, I put on clothes every day. What has been interesting though is I'm a like four outfits a day kind of person sometimes. Like I'll switch. We do it. After my breakfast and I'll switch after I go outside and then 
I'll film a video and like stay in the out for the rest of the day. And then I'm like, I don't want to wear this anymore. And I put on clothes before I put on my pajamas. So I think I've gotten a little more conscious about like, I don't need to wear three outfits in a day. I love that. But, I love. So yeah. I was going to say something that you mentioned that's interesting is that people will say, what if I don't change or whatever, that people have now taken this on, that you have a spreadsheet that you share <laughs> and that people have latched onto and they are deeply now interested in tracking their own outfits. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the community aspect of this data experiment. It's been my favorite part. And I wasn't expecting to have that. I mean, tracking the clothes that I wear every single day doesn't sound like a very community-oriented activity. Sounds quite vain. (laughs) Um, But I decided after my first month to share a little, like, carousel on Instagram. Like, here's what I've learned. Here's the numbers, how many items I have in my closet, how many I wore, how many items I bought, how many items I got rid of. And people were fascinated and they're like, oh my gosh, you learned so much. I want to do the same thing. I feel like there's so much I could learn about my closet. Like last month, people freaked out and so many people bought the spreadsheet because I talked about the colors that I wore. And I was like, I have a ton of colors in my closet and I like color, but I never wear it. And so here's a little pie chart graph of the colors of clothes that I bought this month all very neutral colors, colors that I wear all the time, and a pie chart of the colors that I got rid of. And it was all super bright stuff that was really cute, but I just never wore. So people seeing those little things are like, oh my gosh, I bet if I tracked my outfits, I could learn this or I could learn this. Or I also want to hold myself accountable for how many clothes I'm buying. And it's hard to do that if you're not like tracking the information. So it's kind of, we have a little like accountability group like this month I was embarrassed by how many items of clothes I bought it was embarrassing I was like I is there a way I can finagle this number (laughs) like skew the data so that I don't have to share how many clothes that I bought but people were like oh I always love that reminder that you're human and even if you're on this journey you still bought like 35 items of clothes last like last month like I I feel better about what I'm doing reminds me that you know we're all on this journey So I think it's important to share. Yeah, I like that. I appreciate that you include the bot number two, because that's a good reminder for me as a consumer of this information. I'm not tracking my outfits, but I'm sure I could learn a lot. (laughs) Similarly, though, when I think about conscious consumption, I assume that means I can no longer be buying things. Yeah. And that's not reality for me personally. And it's not that I'm buying a lot of clothes, but when I am buying clothes and I'm thinking really deeply about these purchases, very often they're from thrift stores or consignment stores or I'm buying something on Poshmark. So it's not necessarily impulse purchases and I'm telling myself I'm doing a good job, but you're still acquiring stuff. Oh, yeah. So it's an interesting way to kind of check yourself when it comes to your conscious consumption because it's really not just about like whether or not you're buying stuff. And I think a big thing for me, too, with sustainable fashion is you want to make informed purchases. So, like, this dress, for example, this is from Christy Dawn. This is the most expensive item in my closet. <laughs> Bought it full price. Um, like, 300 something dollars. Like, makes me cringe thinking about it. But it's sustainably made, ethically made. I looked at it on the website for, like, three weeks straight and was like, I just have to have that. I've had it for maybe a month and a half and I've worn it like six times already. I throw it on. I love it. I bought two things from Christy Dawn before. 
both dresses on like super, super clearance sale, like last day, everything's an extra 15% off and I never wore them. And I think I've learned partly through this process, but also just from my sustainable fashion journey as a whole about what a smart conscious purchase looks like. Because there's a lot of ways that a purchase can be conscious. Like, did you ask yourself a question? Like, do I know where this is from? Do I know how it was made? Do I know what the material is? Like, that is kind of surface level to me now. And now I'm like, okay, is it something that I'm actually going to wear? How would I wear it? Um, Do I have something similar in my closet already that I don't wear? Or do I have something similar that I wear a lot? Do I really need two things that are similar? So when I was looking at the two dresses I'd bought from Christy Dawn before, I was like, they didn't fit right. One was like fun and it was $80 on sale, but it was not my style at all. Tried wearing it. The shoulders weren't my favorite. Like it just, I know this silhouette on this dress works for me. It's comfortable, adjustable if things change with my body. I wear black and white all the time. It's something I can wear casually with sneakers. It's something I can wear with heels and it'd be a little bit more dressy. And it's turned out to be a really good purchase. So I didn't start off with the intention of like learning about how to buy things smarter and spend $300 on a dress, but I've learned so much about how to buy. I mean, I'm still buying like 30 something items of clothing a month, but that's another story. (laughs) I am learning. (laughs) I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate the honesty. Quick break to tell you about crowd health. I think learning about health insurance is one of those continuing education journeys that I just have not been able to get myself behind. It's really frustrating to figure out how everything works because I feel like it's always changing. Premiums are increasing, deductibles are getting higher, claims denials are becoming more and more common. And I feel like this is especially unfortunate because I really felt like I was getting behind my health. I was getting recommendations on doctors. I was going to specialists. I was following up. I was really doing all of those adult things that I've been meaning to do. And health insurance has left me confused. And sometimes, honestly, I feel taken advantage of. Now, enter crowd health. Sometimes insurance companies will just not give you the time of day or the peace of mind that you need. Crowd health always does. That's why a $50 a month membership to CrowdHealth includes tools and services that you need to get the highest quality healthcare. You'll get access to telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, so much more without doctors networks messing things up for you. Plus, you'll have access to your own personal care advocate, which will help you navigate the complexities of health events and even negotiate bills on your behalf. It is so nice to have someone supporting you along the way. And of course, you'll join the crowd, a group of members just like you who want to help pay for each other's unexpected medical events. It's time you opt out of restrictive health insurance plans and let Crowd Health help you fit your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $50 a month. Use code ECOCHIC to get the healthcare you deserve. Crowd Health is not insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com. Code ECOCHIC. It will be in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think this is also a really interesting segue, if I may, to this narrative of imperfect sustainability that you like to share. Mm -hmm. I think this is perhaps one of my other favorite things. I said, I love that you talk so much about data, but I also love that you're so real, perhaps because you have this data, perhaps because you can look very honestly at your consumption, at yourself, at your impact. So I want to talk a little bit about what imperfect sustainability looks like for you beyond your clothing. Yes. To kind of backtrack a little bit, the idea of imperfect environmentalism and sharing that on the internet started out of a place of shame. I was living my best sustainable life, taking the metro to the bulk store, going to the farmer's market all the time, carrying my compost around to drop it off at the drop-off. was like pretty much living plastic-free in college. And then I got Lyme disease. And it took me a year and a little bit to actually get a diagnosis, but I was very quickly unable to do most of the things that I was able to do. Like I had to drive the half a mile to the grocery store because I couldn't carry my groceries back (laughs) to my apartment after the bags were full. I couldn't go on the metro anymore because what if I felt like I had to pass out? Like not not the safest environment. Um, There were so many environmental things that I had to give up just to get through the day. I was buying prepackaged meals to microwave because I had the strength to stand up and microwave something. I didn't have the strength to stand up for 30 minutes every day and cook a meal. Um, And I was so embarrassed. I was like, I have this social media at the time with like 2,000, 3,000 followers. And I talk all about sustainability and how important it is. And here I am like using plastic, driving around all the time, getting all this medication in plastic bottles. I'm such a fraud. And I tried like editing it out. Like, look at this sustainable thing that I do, but like (laughs) pulling off the plastic packaging. And I was like, this just doesn't feel right. And so I just started sharing very honestly. I was like, I'm not sustainable. It's not happening. This is what my life looks like right now. And people really resonated with it. I immediately got so many comments like, oh my gosh. I didn't know that you could do that. That's kind of going back to the community aspect. That's when people started being like, oh my gosh, I have this disability and I can't do X, Y, Z that's sustainable. Or I live in a food desert and I have to buy food wrapped in plastic packaging that's shipped from all over the place. Like this makes me feel so much better about what I am able to do and so much more excited about the environmental movement. And so I started sharing a lot more of that on TikTok, too. And people love honesty on TikTok. Like, I'm a sustainability girly. Here's my plastic cup. Like, (laughs) going to put it in the recycling. Is it going to get recycled? I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) Um, And that has resonated with a lot of people. So I always try to lean into the imperfections. And when I buy, like, 35 or 38 new items of clothing a month, I'm going to share it even if it makes me like really cringe because like it's important on an individual level with sustainability to 
not be so aspirational and share your tips and your experience as an individual in a way that inspires people to engage in the movement instead of making them feel bad about what they are able to do. Absolutely. I appreciate that. There's a level of humility there and also self-awareness that you need to have to be able to engage in that because it's really easy when you start getting interested in living more sustainably to be that really excited girl on the metro getting her groceries, dropping off her compost, et cetera. Like I was that girl too. And COVID hit. And that was my big thing that COVID made me realize like everything was wrapped in plastic and it made me really reassess the way that I was trying to live so, so zero waste. And that just wasn't going to happen in that world. So there's this level of like self-awareness again around that aspiration that needs to happen. And then also this grace you're giving yourself of like, well, I am just going to buy 30 things this month. Like, that's fine. I'm not going to feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be honest and move on and try more next month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think COVID also was a big learning point for me. I I got Lyme and then like a year later (laughs) was COVID. Um, And a big thing for me, like this sounds silly. I love iced tea. You, we've talked about yes, this before. I, I have iced tea every single day. My little cup that had iced tea is right down here. Um, it's something that brings me joy. I go to random coffee shops, Starbucks. You know, I bring my reusable cup. I feel good about it. During the pandemic, we couldn't use reusables. And it's only like now just being reintroduced to a lot of places that you can bring in reusables. I felt so guilty for going to get iced tea. And on the days that I wouldn't go and get an iced tea... I was miserable and it sounds silly, but like it's like me using a single use plastic cup during a global pandemic to get a little treat that's going to like make my day and be part of my routine that brings me joy. Is that warming the planet an extra degree Celsius? No, in mass, maybe, but um, it's important on an individual level to remember kind of how small you are, which sounds like the opposite of everything you ever say. Like every swap counts, every sustainable (laughs) action counts, but you also have to just do the best that you can given the circumstances that you have. And during the pandemic, so many of our like priorities (laughs) had to change. And it became very clear that the environmental movement and individual sustainability for me was less about the little swaps and more about the like mindset shifts and the big policy changes and things like that. I totally agree. There are some things that you have to be okay not caring about in the sustainability movement, which I know sounds really bad, like you mentioned, but there are some things that I'm just not going to concern myself with, Yeah. right? So something that I talk about a lot is when I travel, especially internationally, I drink out of a lot of plastic water bottles. Mm -hmm. And normally when I travel, especially if it's domestically, I'll bring a bottle with me. I'll fill it at the airport. Like I'm really going all out as a sustainability person traveling. But in the vast majority of the world, that's not an option, right? There's a lot of places where it's just not favorable for me to be sustainable. And I have to be okay with that. And I'm at Mm -hmm. peace drinking out of a plastic water bottle however often it is that I'm traveling internationally, right? Mm -hmm. Wherever that may be. And then, I mean, of course, that also comes with the fear of, like, am I 
good enough? Mm. Am I good enough? Right. Am I letting go of too much of my values that I once held so near and dear to my heart? But it's very chicken and egg. Well, am I going to forego one experience in order to maintain the no plastic water bottles in my life? Yeah. Like, what are you going to give up so that you can live a plastic-free, zero-waste, carbon-neutral, zero-impact lifestyle? Like, you're going to have to give up so much. And your life is just going to be all about, well, I can't really do that because there'll be plastic or I I don't want to do that. That's not what life is about. Have you read The No Impact Man? I started it. The author is evading me right now. I don't remember his name either. But yeah, I started the book, paused halfway through because I was like preaching to the choir. It was a little too real. It was a little too real. real. Yeah. What I always think about in that book, this man lives in New York City and he is aiming to live a totally zero impact life for a year. And it's really, really hard even in New York City. Yeah. And the thing that I always think about is he is working in some big skyscraper building and he can't take the elevator unless other people have already pushed the the button button and are waiting there. And I think about that. I'm like, I could not live a life where I'm concerned about whether or not I should be taking the elevator. Right. So like he was a very extreme example. Yeah. But that got me thinking a lot about like all the things that I do focus on that I may not need to be stressing nearly as much about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going back to the like Lyme thing, having a disability or being disabled for a period of my life was a reality check for sure. Not just like for the way the world operates, but especially in the environmental movement. Like I can't be walking up however many flights of stairs, like one flight of stairs even, I would have been like, out <laughs> like taking a rest halfway through like it's we have to be much more mindful about inclusivity in the individual sustainability space like we don't need to keep harping on the plastic straws thing Does some disabled people need plastic straws to drink drinks does that mean that they are evil human beings and they're killing sea turtles no it just means that we exist in a society that's imperfect and uses a lot of plastic. There are ways that we can make broader sustainability changes like offering straws upon request versus like straw bans that impact people in better ways, uh, especially in the disability community, chronically ill community. But yeah, so the, the idea of waiting for the elevator, I just can't I don't want to have that on my mind. <laughs> we don't need to be getting rid of elevators to have a sustainable world. Um, but the the bigger picture things are so important. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Bringing this idea of policy change and really large-scale mindset shift back to the fashion conversation that we talked about, I'd love to hear a little bit about initiatives that you're really impressed by in the Mm. sustainable fashion space, something innovative, some sort of program perhaps that is really aiming to shift the fashion industry as we know it. Yeah. So there's a few different policy initiatives in the works. The Fashion Act out of New York is really cool and is inspiring me a ton. Fashion is an under-regulated industry or almost like a non-regulated industry because it's so global. If brands are headquartered in the U.S., but they're manufacturing in Europe and Asia, South America, maybe a little bit in the U.S., they're selling their goods globally, how can you regulate 
the company will just pick up and move to a different country or they'll buy their way around it uh, with lobbying. <laughs> um, so it's it's an industry that has had pretty much no regulation. And I think on a industry scale and from a supply chain perspective, you need to have policy um, and regulation in order to tackle some of the really big problems like waste and uh, human rights issues in terms of labor. So the Fashion Act is one of the first policy initiatives or pieces of policy that I think really addresses a lot of those issues, a lot of the key issues with fashion, ethical labor, care for the garment workers, um, thoughts about waste, holding brands accountable for their initiatives that they state on their financial statements and all of that. And they're working with fashion brands. Like I think Reformation and Patagonia have been part of the conversations from the very beginning of that policy creation process, as well as a ton of legislators in the state of New York to make sure that it would have feet to stand on and, and hold. That's giving me a lot of hope. Again, that's in the state of New York. But that would be a good catalyst for a national law, kind of like what we saw with the Garment Worker Protection Act in California. That was a really big win for garment workers in terms of fair pay, better work environments. And that kind of inspired this next bill, the Fashion Act in New York. So I know there's also the Fabric Act, fashioning accountability and responsible something with an oh, I yeah. and something with a C <laughs> um, stands for something fabric. But that's also about more environmentally and ethically responsible clothing manufacturing in the U.S. That's a national bill has been proposed. I think it's far more likely that the Fashion Act will get passed than the Fabric Act. But it's exciting to see policy changes coming because I don't think brands have any incentive to do better. Even the brands that are the best, if there's nothing pushing them to do better or they're just a really small brand doing amazing, like that's really cool. But the, the industry is huge and the impacts are huge and global. And so having something to reel that in would be huge. Thank you so, so much for tuning into that conversation with Megan McSherry of Activism. I will have all of her links in the show notes, and I will also have all of my links in the show notes. Again, if you want to check out videos, if you want to interact with me, tell me what you thought of the episode. I really like this style of conversation. I hope you did too, and I appreciate you hanging out with me today. If you learned something, if you want to know more about something, I want to know what it is, make sure you reach out. I'm always interested to hear what you think of these episodes. And with that, I will see you next week. Thanks so, so much for tuning in. Have a good one. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.